you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me. Open up to the book of Malachi. Uh, we're going to be in chapter 1, and, and this morning, uh, because we're kind of off as, as far as what we're going to be doing this morning, we're going to be looking at, uh, taking a brief look at the issue of stewardship, but not just the stewardship of our money, the stewardship of our time, the stewardship of our life. And I've been doing this for a little over 32 years, and it's amazing to me through the course of, of my ministry how many times we've had or I've had people who, who want to come and they want to discuss this issue and, and honestly how we have a lot of bad attitudes or bad ideas about what the issue of stewardship really is. And, and most of the time our bad understanding or our bad theology comes from the fact that we want to justify an area of disobedience in our life. Uh, I've had people who have told me through the years that we are not, we're under grace, we're not under, we're not under the tithe, for example, when it comes to our money. And the honest truth is, you can't find that anywhere in Scripture. Okay, that, that's a, a non-scriptural idea. That's just our opinion about what we think we can do to justify our disobedience. Uh, there are others that say, well, we're, we're supposed to tithe, but we're not, we don't have to tithe all to the church. Again, that is not a scriptural opinion. That's just somebody's opinion to justify their doing. And then there's others, that, that and they want to use some passages, some passages we're going to look at today uh, to talk about, well, it, it's just whatever I want to give. I, I just am supposed to decide. It says let the person decide on the first day of the week what portion that they want to give. Well, that's true. It does. But that's taking a passage out of context and allowing it, again, to justify our attitudes and, and, and quite honestly, we're to justify what the Word of God says is sinfulness in our hearts. We like sermons about grace. And we like sermons about sin that I'm not engaged in, somebody else's sin. We talked a little bit about that last week. You know, the, 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 if I see my brother in sin, and we're real good at seeing other people's sin. We like sermons about those things, and we don't like sermons about stewardship. And the reason is because it gets personal. And the Word of God is very strict and very direct and very, very literal in what it says. If I am not obedient in the area of stewardship in my life, my time, my talents, and my energies, I'm living in sin. And so it gets personal for me. And, and we're going to pick up with the account of Israel in the book of Malachi, what was going on in their lives and where they were and, and, and what God was saying to them in the midst of that situation. And then we're going to move to uh, Paul's letter to the church at Corinthians and, and look at what our life is supposed to be in every area as we understand our role in stewardship. If you have your Bibles open there uh, to Malachi chapter 1, if you would please stand with me this morning as we honor the reading of the Word of God. In verse 12, but you are profaning it when you say, the Lord's table is defiled and its product, its food, is contemptible. You also say, look, what a nuisance, and you scorn it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring stolen, lame, or sick animals. You bring this as an offering. Am I to accept that from your hands, asks the Lord? The deceiver is cursed who has an acceptable male in his flock and makes a vow but sacrifices the effective animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord, and my name will be feared among the nations. You may be seated. May God bless his word this morning as we study it together. Uh, Israel had been captive. And so the, the first thing that God is trying to teach them through Malachi, this last of the Old Testament prophets, actually... John the Baptist was the last 
model of an Old Testament prophet. And he was also the forerunner of Messiah. But Malachi is the last recorded Old Testament prophet. And, and in his dealing with Israel, what has happened is he's trying to, to describe to them what their role was. And their role was to bring their very best. Israel has been in captivity. Israel has returned to the promised land. They have begun to restore the wall. They have begun to restore the temple. They have begun to restore the ritual. But through the course of that time, no matter how many leaders God has sent them, Israel has not prospered. They've not been able to advance. They've not been able to, uh, to accomplish. They've not been able to really distance themselves from their past and from their captivity. And, and what Malachi writes and says, it's because of this. I mean, very early in his letter, he says, this is why. And it's because you've not been obedient to God in the area of sacrifice. You see, the Old Testament system of sacrifice was set up as a forerunner to what you and I know and understand today, grace. What we know and understand about Messiah. The Old Testament set up a system of sacrifice that was representative of who Jesus Christ was going to be. You, the reason that they were to bring their best, their first of their flock, the best ram, the best lamb, the best dove, whatever it was that they could afford, the reason they were to bring their best was because it was a model of what God was going to offer through the cross. He was going to give us his very best. And so the sacrificial system was set up to remind them, I told them it was going to do it again, and they didn't believe me. The, the, the sacrificial system was set up to be this model, uh, to, to show who Christ would be. And so if they let themselves off, and that's literally what the priests were doing. The priests didn't want to offend anybody. And so the priests were, were letting the people off the hook. They were letting them bring less than God's very best to the, to the temple. They weren't making the best sacrifices. They were rationalizing, well, we're, we're struggling. We're not being blessed as a nation. We're not going through. And, and because we're struggling, surely God will understand if we don't offer the best. And God was saying, absolutely not. My standard is my example, and my example is I'm going to give you the very best. I'm sending my one and only, only begotten, never-to-be-duplicated, sinless, perfect son to die for you. And because of that, the sacrificial system was to represent what God had done and was going to do in their life. It's what you and I enjoy today. And what God wanted them to understand through Malachi is a less-than-perfect offering couldn't represent Jesus Christ. And the same thing is true for our life today. How valuable is eternity to you? See, what, what, what value do we place on our salvation? What, what value do we place on the grace that God has given us? And, and, and what the Word of God teaches us and shows us is that, that in breaking the Word of God, in breaking the command, in not holding ourselves to the standards of God, we have polluted our worship and we have polluted the purpose of our ministry. That's what the Word of God teaches us. James writes, and, and uh, he says this uh, in 125, but the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer who acts, this person will be blessed in what he does. You and I have been called to give God our very best in every area. So 
the standard that we are to use this side of the cross, this side of the Old Testament, the standard that we are to use is what is the value of grace to us? What, what, what is my role as a steward of God's grace? To be a steward in every area, to put the whole counsel of the word of God into practice in my life, to hear it, to understand it, to know it, and to be obedient to it. That's really what the Bible says. That's what James meant, the half-brother of Jesus, when he picked up on that, that, that we are to hear God's counsel and not to excuse away the standards that God has set. My role as a steward is to give all of who I am, period. That's, that was the New Testament example. Everything is God's. I am to surrender everything to him. And, and, and to do that in a way that glorifies his name. And, and, and not to justify being disobedient in what I do. Now, turn over to the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And we're going to look at two passages in Paul's second letter to the Corinthian church, chapter 9, verse 7, and chapter 8, verse 5. And this passage is actually a passage that has been used to take out of context why you and I don't have to tithe anymore, okay? And, and what I want you to understand is 2 Corinthians is an additional response to 1 Corinthians. And 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9 are an additional response to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, Paul was talking to the Corinthian church about completing a special offering. This was not the tithe of the church. This was not this was not the, the money to operate and to conduct ministries and those things. This would be like a, a tithe to, or, or a gift to complete Lottie Moon. What Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 16 and then again in verses nine, chapter 9 and chapter 8 is the completion of a special offering that was to be used for the Christians who were in Jerusalem who were being persecuted. That was what he was talking about. And so all of those principles that we want to take out of context, well, see, I'm not supposed to tithe. I'm just supposed to give a portion. I'm supposed to, there's some principles that we're supposed to obey as we give. That's true. But we can't use those passages to justify our understanding of not giving a tithe to the local church. So what's the first principle? Well, the first thing that this passage teaches us is that I am to offer joyously what I do. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9 Verse 7, Paul's writing there, and, uh, and this is what he says. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not out of regret or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now that principle that he's talking about in the completion of this special offering is that whatever I do, I do it joyously, that I make the right decision. Jesus echoed that in the Gospel of Luke, the 12th chapter, the 34th verse, where he says, give where your heart is. Where your treasure is, your heart will be. And, and so if my treasure, if what I value, if what is important to me in life is grace and my faith, then it will begin to dictate everything that I do. It will dictate the way I spend my time. It will dictate the way I budget my energy. It will dictate the way I budget my, my stewardship of my house and my finances, my resources, my job. It will dictate the way I work. You see, I would challenge the thought process today that if I'm a Christian and I value grace, I can't give a half day's work for a full day's pay. 
If I'm a Christian and I value the relationship that I have to my Lord, I can't cheat my employer. I'm supposed to allow grace to impact every single thing that I do. I, I can't cheat my wife in my marriage. I can't cheat my kids as a parent. I am to give full-blown everything to every area of my life as a steward, to my family, to my home, to my talents, to my energies. I can't even cheat the yard. You don't think stewardship's a tough issue? Come follow me around while I mow. I hate mowing. But honestly, taking care of my yard is an issue of stewardship. Just taking care of the house. And, and that's how we ought to begin to see every single thing that we do. That's exactly what Paul is talking about here. He's talking about the way I do it. And where my treasure is, my heart will be. If my treasure's in heaven, it will affect everything that I do here. And what Paul says is I ought to do it. I ought to decide in my heart where my heart is, and it ought to affect me in two ways. First of all, I ought not to give grudgingly. Each person should decide in his heart not out of regret. And that word there for regret is a word that, that literally means anger. I ought not to give out of anger. When I give, it ought not to be dadgummit. Or out of duty. And that word there means out of a purposelessness. That I would rather be using that money that I give or that time that I give. If I come and I work at church and serve, if I sing in the choir, if I teach in Sunday school, if I work in Team Kid, and, and the whole time I'm up there doing it, I'm sitting there thinking, man, I could, I could be spending my time better doing other things. You know, whatever it is. If I'm not doing it with the right heart, the word of God says, God's not going to bless it. He'll bless the gift, but you will not receive what you think you're going to receive because of the way you're doing it. We have been called to serve with a joyful heart, not out of regret or out of sadness, not sadness or anger, either one. That's literally what those words mean that I learn to serve because of what God has done me, and that service takes me and challenges me and moves me to interact in my relationship. The Word of God, Proverbs 22.9 says, the one who shares his food with the poor will be blessed. That attitude of everything that I have is not mine. It's God's, my time. The very fact that you get up today. Tuesday, I'm going to have an opportunity to do Gene Stone's funeral. And... A couple weeks ago when they put her on hospice, I was in Jean's house and visiting with her and talking to her, and, and she said this to me. She said, I said, Jean, how are you doing? She said, not very good. I said, really? What's, what's wrong? She said, I got up today. I got up today. Uh, she said, I, I don't want to get up. I want to go sleep and just not wake up. And that's exactly what happened. She went to sleep uh, Friday night, and she woke up in the Lord's arms. Saturday morning. That's what she did. That's what she wanted to do. And, and I was talking to her, and I'll tell this story on Tuesday at her, at her funeral, but, uh, but I was talking to her, and, and I said, well, Jean, you know what? She said, I still don't have any purpose anymore. I, I can't get up. I can't go to church. I can't, I can't do the things. All I can do is pray. And I said, Jean, you have purpose. You have purpose. She said, so should I quit praying? And I said, no, don't quit praying. Keep praying for us. You know, that, that is our purpose in life in everything that I do. But here's the deal. You got up this morning. You woke up. And so that means God's not done. And it means that everything about my life ought to be geared this morning to giving him glory. I ought to, I ought to be giving him that purpose in my life. 
Rabbi Ishmael in the book of uh, the Midrash and in, in the book of legends talks about a story of two sheep. Uh, both of them were full of wool and one of the sheep gave his wool to charity. He was shorn and they surrendered his wool to charity. The other sheep kept his wool or her wool and they came to a brook and they needed to swim the brook. So both sheep began to cross the brook. The sheep that was shorn made it across. The sheep that kept its wool drowned because its wool filled up with water and it sank. And he goes on to teach the principle of when I share, when I give away those things that I have, when I understand the principle of what God has given me, when I give that willingly, God blesses with life. And I understand how the name it, claim it, guys, get this out and get it so backwards. I understand that because it's not that I give to get, it's that I give because I've already got. I don't give to get more stuff for here. It's not about here. You know, there's one of those guys who wrote a book, Your Best Life Now. It better not be. Paul says if it is for this life alone that we have hope, you and I are to be most pitied of all people. It's not for this. But it's because of what I've already received. It's because of grace that God has already given to me. And, and, and that's supposed to be the principle that drives me in life, that pushes me to do everything that I've ever done. My first full-time pastor at Santa Fe, Texas, we were, we were there, and I was 24 years old. I was wet behind the ears. I thought I knew everything there was to know about pastoring and ministry. And there was a, a retired pastor who had been the interim uh, for 11 months before I went to be the pastor of that church. And, and the first day that I was there, Hendricks Maxwell put his arm around me, and he said, Son, I, I think I'm just going to stay here in the church just to help you. Man, I was 24 years old. I had a master's degree. I was working on my doctorate. I didn't need Hendricks Maxwell's help. And I thought about that, and, and I, I went home and told Lori that. I said, man, I can't believe he's going to hang around. He can't let go. He's been here for 11 months. It's time for him to move on. It's, this is my church. God's called me here. That's what I'm supposed to do. I tell you what, he stayed in our church for about two years. It was the most blessed time that I've ever had in my life because he mentored me. He taught me. He saved me from a lot of things and, and walked me through. And it was just kind of like God said, look, son, you're not quite as smart as you think you are, and you need a little help, and I'm going to put him here, and his name's Hendricks Maxwell. And, and he did. But one of the things that Hendricks taught me about life was this. He said, Sean, you'll find out in ministry. I've been doing this 32 years plus. You'll find out in ministry the people in your church who are the most bitter, the most who don't enjoy their faith, the most angry about everything are usually the people who give the least. If we are allowing the word of God to move in our hearts, and to challenge us, it changes everything we are. And then the third thing is that we offer ourselves completely. Turn uh, back over probably one page in your Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 5. Paul's talking here about what they did and what they, how they gave. And it says, and not just as we had hoped, instead they gave themselves especially to the Lord, then to us by God's will. Again, this was an offering for a special ministry need. It wasn't talking about their regular gifts, but Paul uses the Macedonians. That verse, he's talking about the example that the Macedonian church, the Macedonian church was a church that was under severe persecution uh, for spiritual reasons, and, and, and yet out of their poverty, the word of God says they gave exceedingly. And the reason they were able to do that is because they had first given themselves wholly and completely and totally to the Lord. 
the fact that they had given to God first was the mark of their relationship in everything else that they did. They gave themselves totally Lord. And then they settled the issue of whose they were and what they were. They had settled that issue and their complete and total trust in God for their provision and and allowing the Lord to, to take care of them was the example that Paul says, look, this is what you ought to do. This is what they did. Now this is what you ought to do. Give yourself to the Lord and let everything else take care of itself. Anybody remember where we were as a church in 2005? How many of you were here in 2005? A few of you. Okay, about half of you. Remember where we were? We were right in the middle. There was, there was a lot of construction going on. or fixing to start going on right over here. We were right in the middle of our, our, our building campaign. And starting that, we had started the fundraising, and we're going through that. And... Lori and I were praying about what our role was to be as pastor and family, what we were supposed to do, and praying about what we were supposed to give. Gay remembers this story because I'm on, Gay's a part of this story. Um, and, and Lori and I, you know, and, and here we were, it was 2005. We had a daughter who was going to graduate from high school in 2007, another, a son that was going to graduate from high school in 2009, and then Clay, of course, was coming along. They were active, we were chasing kids everywhere. But, but we were praying about what we were supposed to give financially to the building program. And it was supposed to be something above and beyond. And, and, and Lori and I, and we just, we prayed separately and we came up with the same deal. And, and, and our deal was that we were to double tithe. For three years, we made a pledge. We asked the church to do that. But as your leader, and I didn't tell you what the dollar amount was. I didn't say this is how much we're going to give. I just said over the next three years, Lori and I are going to give a double tithe. A tithe of our income to the church and a tithe of our income to the building fund. And I shared with you, I'm, I'm a little apprehensive about that, okay, because I got a daughter that's fixing to graduate and go off to, to college, and what I'm basically doing is I'm pledging her college fund. That's what I'm doing. And part of Colton's. And Gayhart walked to me after that service, after we shared that morning, because that's part of what the building program, part of what we did. I was supposed to share with you what God was going to do, not the dollar amount, but how God was leading us. And I shared with you, Gayhart walked up to me, and she said, Kara's going to be valedictorian of her class. She said, I don't care if she's a blooming idiot. She's going to be valedictorian of her class. God's going to provide a scholarship for you for her to go to school. I said, hmm, okay. Kara's a sophomore. Guess what Kara was? Valedictorian of her class. Earned a full tuition scholarship to any state school in the state of Texas. And she went to Howard Payne. <laughs> Guess what Colton was? Valedictorian of his class. Earned a full tuition scholarship, any state school in the state of Texas. And he went to Hardin Simmons. Man, Lord is like going, you know, what are you doing? You just really want to test me? You really want to prove that I'm faithful? About that same time, Laurie started having problems. I don't know if you remember this. Laurie started having problems that we thought at the time was her neck. Okay, I don't know if you remember, 2005, Laurie had surgery on her neck. You know, she went in and had her vertebrae fused. We thought all the numbness and all the tingling, we thought that that was related to her neck. But it wasn't. We would find out a few years later it was actually Parkinson's. And so here we are. We've stood in front of the church. We've made a pledge to give a double tithe to the church, to the church and to the building fund, not cheating in any area. And we're betting our college future and and all of this on this. And now my wife has to have surgery. And you see, up until that point in our lives, we were very healthy people. We never met our deductible. 
And so here I am, and we're planning surgery. Laurie, it's in September. Laurie's had myelograms. She's had all these things. She's getting ready to go. Colton's a, a freshman, and he's playing football. We're doing all the stuff in life. And Laurie has to have surgery on her neck. Surgery scheduled for a Thursday. On Sunday afternoon, we go eat after church. We go to lunch. We've already started the building fund. We're pulling up to our house, and, and I notice when I'm pulling down our county roads, when we lived out here north of town, I'm turning on our county road. There's a gentleman turning out of our county road, headed back into town, and, and I thought it was strange that this man, I know him. He's a, a member of our community, never attended our church. He's not a member of our church, but he was, I thought he was strange. I thought, why was he, he has no reason to be out here. And so we pull in the driveway, and I see him make a U-turn on 112. He turns out, he comes out, and pulls into my house. And I thought, what is going on? You know, and he comes up, he knocks on the door. I open the door, and he hands me an envelope. And he says, this is for you for Laurie's surgery. He said, don't ask any questions. I make the money. The Lord tells me how to spend it. Okay prays for me. He leaves. I go in and I open the envelope and there's a large check. Over $9,000. To the dime. Our deductible and our out-of-pocket expense for the surgery that would happen on Thursday. To the dime. Kara goes to Howard Payne. Passes up a full tuition scholarship. I am pushing for tech. I mean, I took her to tech. Lori took her to Howard Payne. I'm pushing for tech. Lori goes to, Kara goes to school. Her freshman year is just about over. She's pushing herself, a triple major. She's doing all these things. She applies for a scholarship through the academy at Howard Payne. They don't award this scholarship to freshman students. But she applies anyway because she's got so many hours that she's come out of high school with. She finds out she's one of three recipients for the Academy of uh, Honors Scholarship. Full tuition for three years. To the dime. To the dime. In value, what Laurie and I tie to this church is a double tie for three years. Now, I tell you those stories to brag on our God and to remind us and to remind me that our God is faithful to meet all of our needs when we are faithful. That's his promise. Not the stuff, but our needs. If we are faithful, and I'd love to tell you the story about Colton. He got those scholarships too. He just didn't take care of them maybe quite as well as Kara did. <laughs> he was more like his dad in college than his mom. But God provided. And, and, and that's what we need to understand. We are under grace. You're you bad. But the first issue of grace is stewardship. Am I taking care of the life that God has given me? Am I being a steward of grace? Am I being a steward of my faith? Am I telling people about Jesus? Am I inviting people to church? Am I excited about what God has done in my life? Yes, we are under grace. 
And grace ought to cause us to be a steward of life. Time, talents, energies, attitudes. And maybe you're here this morning and the honest truth is you need to put your life under grace. Maybe you, you've been doing it all wrong. You've been doing it because of stuff. Have to, begrudgingly, regret, sadness. And what God says is no, grace. And what you need is to ask Jesus Christ truly to be Lord of your life. In a stewardship sermon, you need to give your heart to Jesus because that's the first place. That's where it starts, grace, what God has done. And, and, and then maybe allow that grace to begin to impact every area of your life for obedience. Not, not so that I get, but just so that I am living my life financially. I am living my life in obedience to the actual teaching of the Word of God, letting the whole counsel of the Word of God govern everything that I do. To the area of my time, budgeting my time. One of the things that I'm going to ask you to do is to budget your time for the prayer conference. There is nothing more important than what's going to happen in our church April 10th, 11th, and 12th. Nothing. And I want to ask you to budget your time to be here and to let God speak to your heart and to speak to your family's heart about building a house of prayer, that we begin to budget our time for the Lord on Sundays and on Mondays and on Tuesdays and on Wednesdays, not out of convenience, but as an issue of stewardship. God gave me 24 hours today. How am I going to use a tithe of that, 2.4 hours, close enough, to give it back to him. Prayer, study, service, ministry. How am I going to tithe back my life to him? And maybe it's just our attitude that needs to be adjusted. Lord, you've given me so much. I want to respond in grace. How's God speaking to your heart this morning? about the issue, your role, my role, our role as stewards of everything that he's given us. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the day that you've given us. I thank you for your time. God, I thank you that we got up today. And that means that you're not done, that, that, that life is, is, is real and it is to be lived and it is to be enjoyed. God, it is to be uh, engaged in. And, and so, Father, I ask you this morning to speak to our hearts. Lord, there, there are some here this morning, and the honest truth is we just need to get the issue of grace settled. That you are truly Lord, that you died to be Lord of life. And so, Father, I pray for, for whoever might be here this morning that, that right now just needs to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. God, that they, that they need to just surrender the have-to of their life to the cross and to what you did. God, that, that as we celebrate Palm Sunday and, and the triumphal entry of Christ, that today there would be a triumphal entry into their heart as Lord and King of kings and, and Savior, that right now they would call upon the name of Christ and be saved. Father, there are some of us that, that Lord, you need to give us an attitude adjustment. It's become more about us than about you. And, and so I pray that you would speak to hearts. I pray that you would, you would just soften us and, and challenge us, God, in the areas of stewardship of our time, of our talents, of our finances, of our resources. 
God, of, of our influence, of everything that it is, that, that we would truly become stewards of grace. Father, if there's an area of disobedience in our life, that this morning we would be convicted enough to lay that at the altar. I say, Father, I want to be right with you in every area of my life. God, I ask you this morning to speak to hearts and, and to challenge us in all that we do, that, Father, you be glorified. And I pray that this morning in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We're going to stand and we're going to sing as God speaks to your heart. Maybe, maybe you just need to come and just say, you know what, Lord, I want you to do something in my life. I, I want to be a better steward of the grace that you've given me. God, change my heart. Change my attitude about my service, about my, my, my time, my talents, my energies, my finances. Maybe, maybe it's to come and say, for the very first time, I ask Christ to truly be Lord of my life. It starts with grace. Whatever it is, as God speaks to your heart, how will you respond to him?